Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. We're going to stop at the end of 21. I'm sorry. Okay, let's read together. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, it's always possible when you read the New Testament um, that this story about this encounter with the Pharisee happened in a different town and a different day because we don't always get on the same day. Some days, sometimes Luke says, and on the same day. But in this particular situation, we don't know. And I, I do think, though, that probably this interaction with this Pharisee happened as Jesus came into town right after he had healed the ten lepers because it creates the kind of typical tension that we always seem to have whenever the Pharisees open their mouth. And so this is one of those situations where the picture is, is stark. Jesus enters uh, into this town. As he's about to get into the gates, he's approached by the ten lepers. We talked about this last week. And uh, they cry out for mercy. He looks at them. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they go, they're cleansed. And remember, one of them, one out of the ten, the Samaritan turns back and he just begins to praise God and he's shouting with a loud voice and he falls at the feet of Jesus saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and Jesus is clearly disappointed that the other nine didn't come back, but he says, get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. It's an amazing, emotional, very powerful scene. And, and I imagine immediately after that, some well-dressed, very religious, slightly bored individual walked up to him and said, so when can we expect to see the kingdom of God? And I can only imagine the frustration on the face of our Savior. But before we get to how he responded, I think we need to understand what assumptions did the Pharisees bring to this question? You know, what were they looking for? What were they expecting? And I think it's clear to say, I mean, uh, uh, Daryl Bach says in, in his commentary that the Pharisees, along with much of the Jewish world, assumed that the coming of God's kingdom would be so clear and powerful that great heavenly signs would signal its arrival. And you know, most of us think of that same way in terms of the, the second coming of Christ, right? That the skies are gonna split open and there's gonna be celestial signs and wonders that will mark the end of the age. That's how they anticipated the coming of the Messiah. They really were expecting these signs and wonders and celestial signs. And, uh, you know, I think that's fair interpretation sometimes of some of the apocalyptic Old Testament literature, uh, you know, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. They were looking for some kind of fireworks, some visible sign. Now, never mind, you know, that Jesus was casting out demons, healing the sick, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, rebuking the wind, raising the dead. I mean, everyone's just kind of continuously asking him for a sign. Lord, just give us some kind of a sign. It's kind of like Bruce Almighty, you know, he's driving down the road, just any sign, boom, you know what I mean? But they just didn't get it. And, and that's very common throughout the New Testament. A lot of people were there, they saw all these amazing things that Jesus was doing, and still they didn't get it. They didn't get the kingdom of God because they had such a preconceived notion of what that was going to look like. Another presumption that the Pharisees brought into this question was they just thought when the kingdom of God came, it was going to liberate Israel from being in under any kind of captivity or oppression. And so they really thought the Romans were going to be dashed to the ground and, and Israel would be elevated to the top of the political food chain. And so, I mean, you can kind of imagine why they're confused. 
You know what I mean? They're, they're expecting the skies to part. They're expecting this great political revolution that's going to happen. They would have definitely assumed that the Messiah came in on a white horse with a sword drawn, and he's going to gather an army. So Jesus, carpenter, poor man from Nazareth, <laughs> you say you're the Messiah. When can we expect to see the kingdom of God? You know, where's your army? I mean, you can just imagine them scratching their heads saying, this guy has been walking around for the better part of three years like a homeless person with his ragtag bunch of homeless people basically healing women and children and lepers and Samaritans. Such a group of people an army does not make. We don't get it. So they ask for a sign. And they've been asking for a sign. If you go back through the text, they're always asking for a sign. And I want to say that our generation is not so different from the ancient Jews. So many people are constantly asking for a sign. Just give me a sign, right? Give me a sign, God, that you hear me. And, and we're looking for the signs of the times. I mean, with every development in the Middle East or every presidential election, people all over the world are trying to interpret the signs to anticipate Christ's return. But listen, I really think Jesus is going to tell us something here. That there's a danger then and now for us to be so obsessed with the signs and the fulfillment of our expectation of what this should look like. And one of the reasons is, is that we're going to miss what Jesus is doing right in front of our noses. So listen to how Jesus responds to this question regarding the coming of God's kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, Jesus says, contrary to popular belief, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. What does he mean by that? What are signs that can be observed? I mean, clearly, he's talking about these celestial signs, these, this breaking out where heaven splits and all the stars are falling and everything. Uh, some of the Pharisees also had held a tradition that the kingdom of God would arrive on the Passover. So it's possible that they're asking, are we right about that? Is the kingdom of God going to come? When is it going to, is it going to come on the Passover? But Jesus makes very clear that the kingdom of God will not be coming with observable celestial signs. The kingdom of God will not be something that we have to hunt for. It's not going to be located in one particular region or country. And even today, many people in our generation believe the kingdom of God will be revealed in Israel. So the kingdom of God is tied to the land. And certainly... If anyone had reason to believe that, it was the first century Jews and Pharisees. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, some translations that you might have say, the kingdom of God is within you. But that is not a, that's not a good translation of the words, and it's not at all consistent with anything Jesus ever said about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not some individualistic experience of God that means different things to different people. That is such an American way to interpret the text. This is not about some individualistic experience of you internalizing the kingdom of God. A kingdom is clearly where there is a king and there's a collection of people who are under the reign of that king. They, they live in his territory. They abide by his laws. They are submitted to his kingship. A kingdom is a collection of people. It is not going to be an individual, individualistic experience. So the kingdom of God uh, is not going to break out with these celestial signs. It's not going to just be in a particular land or certain place. It's going to be wherever there's a collection of people who are submitted to the kingship of Christ. But even though it won't be uh, 
observed through these particular celestial signs that they're expecting, Jesus makes very clear how you can tell where the kingdom of God is. If you think about it, these Pharisees are really asking a very similar question that John the Baptist asked. Remember John the Baptist, he was stuck in prison. He's not able to be out about with Jesus Christ. He's getting some reports about him like healing the women and the children and all that. He, he sends his messengers and said, now, are you the one? Are you the one that we should be expecting or, or should we be looking for somebody else? And remember how Jesus responds to that question. It's a fair question. And he sends back the disciples of John. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. These are the indicators, these are the signs of the kingdom of God and what happens when the kingdom of God is in place. They're practical, personal, social realities that can be observed by those who have eyes to see. And that's why the placement of this story in Luke's gospel is so ironic. I mean, here, here Jesus has walked into this town, these 10 lepers cry out for mercy, he heals them with a word. One comes back, a Samaritan, and he's fallen at the feet of Jesus, and he says, go, your faith has made you well. And this stuff shirt comes up and says, uh, so when are we going to see the kingdom of God? And I know Jesus just had to say, dude, are you serious? <laughs> Under whose other kingdom are 10 lepers healed with the word? Who else does that? How can you not see that the king of the universe is standing smack dab in front of you. And this is the same kind of frustration that Jesus voiced in Luke 12 when he said, you know, when you guys, same group of people, he says, when, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you at once say, oh, a shower's coming, and it happens. And then when you, you know, feel that south wind blowing, you say, oh, there's gonna be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. You see, the signs of the kingdom of God are as plain as rain. The powerful, healing, transforming, forgiving, redeeming, hope-giving effect that Jesus has on people. That's the clear sign that God's kingdom is at hand. That's what he points to. And furthermore, because those signs are so plainly obvious, the proper response of everyone who sees and comes into contact with the kingdom of God is to repent. That's why Jesus is constantly saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Repent. Now, let's think about this for a minute. When Jesus was walking the face of the earth, and he wanted to help people to understand the kingdom of God is at hand, he pointed to, he pointed to the measurable, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual effects he was having on the lives of people, particularly the lives of the poor people, sick people, gross people, imprisoned people, dead people, right? So, question, how will we recognize where the kingdom of God is in our generation. I mean, how will we know how to find it? Where can we expect to see it? I mean, the easy answer is the church, right? I mean, we should expect to see a community that is under the reign of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the church because wherever Jesus reigns, that is the kingdom of God. And since the church claims that Jesus Christ is Lord, the kingdom of God should be observable in the church. But how will we know? How can we be sure what signs should we be looking for? I mean, should we be looking for, you know, miraculous signs and wonders and prophecies and, and speaking in tongues and all these kind of things? I mean, are, is that how we're going to know that the kingdom of God is at hand? Not according to Jesus. 
According to Jesus, <laughs> this is what he says. This is what he's been saying. If you want to know where the kingdom of God is, look for me. Where I am, that's where the kingdom is. And here's where you can find me, Jesus says. Wherever the poor are receiving good news and justice in my name, wherever people who are formerly blind now can see, wherever you find people who are damaged goods and now they're functioning and serving my agenda, wherever you find people in marriages, families that were dead as a doornail and now they're alive again, that's where you're gonna find me. And that is the kingdom of God. It's not over here and it's not over there. It's wherever I am. I've made very clear what will be happening in the lives of people When I'm in the house, when I'm the king, and people are serving me, it will have an impact that is measurable, observable. It'll be transformative. This is one of the reasons I think Jesus always said the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Because as soon as you kind of get what he's trying to say, you have to repent for all the terribly wrong ways you've thought about God in the way his kingdom's gonna look. Let me make an example of, of that. Let's think about last week for a minute. 10 lepers, 10 lepers are healed. They cry out for mercy, they're sick, they're covered up in disease, they cry out for mercy. Jesus says start walking, they start walking, they're healed, right? 90% of those people who have an encounter with God who are healed and so on, they just keep going on with their lives. And here's why. Because they feel entitled to the kingdom of God. They absolutely believe that the kingdom of God is about them. It's about their healing. It's about how it's going to benefit their lives. It's about our liberation, our healing, our wholeness, our sight, our hearing, our business, our marriage, our kids, our family, our finances, our country, our safety, our vindication, our justice, our superior position over those people who are not as good as us or theologically accurate. That's always been the history of humanity. We're constantly inclined to interpret the Bible and Jesus and God's kingdom through the lenses of how's it going to help me, how's it going to benefit me, protect me, heal me, and get me to heaven. But here's what Jesus just said. The kingdom of God, it ain't about you. It's about me, Jesus Christ. And if you want into the kingdom, turn and come to me. And if you come to me and you're under me as my subject and my servant, the evidence will be measurable in them. See, this is a hard one, and that's why I was very afraid of the sermon, because this is a really counterintuitive thing. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, If you serve me, if you're in my kingdom, the evidence will be measurable in them. The poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, the people he's constantly talking about, the orphans, the widows. You see, this is why if you tell me that your faith is a personal, private thing, if you tell me that you're a Christian but you don't really go to church, you serve or get involved and all that much, you see, that's just a bunch of bunk. Because if you're in the kingdom of God, if you serve the king of kings, He said, then there will be fruit, and the fruit in your life will be the effect I have through you in them. (laughs) Actually, if you read the New Testament, it doesn't say a lot about you. (laughs) That's why we don't read it, right? I mean, if it talked about me, I'd read it all the time, but it doesn't really talk about me all that much, so I'm not all that interested. Here's what it says about you, the church, those who serve within the kingdom of heaven. I mean, here's kind of the way, you know, Jesus never tries to sell the kingdom. He never says, you know what, if you follow me, it's just going to be 
happy days, happy, 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 right? I mean, he's, he's not saying that. He's not saying if you follow me, I'm gonna, you know, you're just gonna have everything. It's gonna be awesome. You're gonna prosper. You're gonna have all this great life. People are gonna love you. You're gonna be very, very popular. He never says that. When he talks to you, you know, at the point where he convicts us of our sin and we repent and say, we're sorry, please forgive us. You know, basically, here's a summary of the things that Jesus said to you and to me, the church, in the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament in general. He says, you know, to come into my kingdom, um, you'll have to give up everything. And, and you need to be ready to carry your cross and deny yourself and follow me. You'll most certainly experience persecution, ridicule, and, and possibly even martyrdom for my name. And make no mistake, um, I'm the king, you're not. I'm in charge, you do what I say. But listen, uh, you'll not be alone. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I will not leave you or forsake you, no matter how bad it gets, and no matter how much it costs. And, and it's gonna get pretty bad, and it's gonna cost a lot. You see, my Holy Spirit will be with you to give you the words to defend the gospel and to give you the courage to endure and persevere. And because you're in my kingdom and because I'm the king and I'm working through you, there will be hope for the hopeless, help for the helpless, justice for the oppressed and good news for the poor. And the Father will receive glory and souls will be saved and the kingdom of God will advance on earth as it is in heaven. That's the adventure I'm inviting you into. Take it or leave it. But he goes on, I mean, if you keep reading Jesus, he says, but you know, one day, I'm gonna come back for you. And it might be at your last breath, and it might be at the end of the age, but I will come, and you will see me face to face, and I will take you to be where I am. And you will come into my Father's house, where there are many rooms, and I've prepared a room for you, and I'll introduce you to kingdom treasure. It's so much better than the stuff you got down here. But listen, for now, you have to understand, if you're gonna follow me, this is a war, and you're gonna to have to suit up every day. You're gonna to have to hit the battlefield on their behalf. Sacrifice your life, give it all away for the sake of my children who are orphans, for the sake of the widows, for the sake of the poor, for the crippled, the lame, the lost, the oppressed, and the imprisoned. I need you to apply everything I've given you so that every people group in the world will hear my gospel and have the opportunity to repent and to be forgiven and to be saved. I mean, you know, you, can, you have to understand I'm asking you to forget yourself to care for those who are forgotten. Your life will not be easy, but it will be good, really good. And remember, I am the king, so you have nothing to fear. Death cannot touch you, I have defeated death. So have faith, suit up, and follow me. That's the language of the king of kings, and it's everywhere if you're actually willing to read the New Testament and hear what he says your life is gonna be like within his kingdom on this earth. And it's good, and it's for the benefit of the world. It's not about us, it's never been about us, it will never be about us. The kingdom of God is about Jesus and his kingdom agenda. And if you want into the kingdom of God, you have to repent, take a knee, get low before the king. Join his ranks, submit your life to his rule. Serve in a community of believers who live differently, think differently, and die differently from those who serve a different kingdom. 
But don't think for a moment that being in the kingdom of God is about you. It's not. It's about him and the measurable impact of our service in his kingdom. The measurable impact of our service in his kingdom will be observable with them. So if you see orphans being brought in, people forgetting themselves to reach those who are forgotten, you hear testimonies of people who are spiritually dead and now they're alive. Every once in a while, people tell a story about how they're healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And you see people committing these crazy, generous acts of service in his name, thinking nothing of themselves. Here's what I can tell you. You don't need a sign. You don't need to keep going looking. You don't need to like scrunch your eyes and try to interpret things. You are in the kingdom of God. It's right there. It's in your midst. The kingdom of God is at hand. The question I have for you this morning is this. Are you within the kingdom of God? And I can tell you this. If you've never taken a knee before the king, you're not in the kingdom. It takes just a bit of humility to humble yourself and submit yourself to the king of kings and the lord of lords. (laughs) But you're thinking, why would I? The way you just sold that, I don't think I'm even coming back to this church, right? What's in it for me? Look, if you're still asking the question, what's in it for you, you've missed the whole gospel. Here's why. Because you want to be your own king, you want to be your own master, you want to be the lord of your own domain, because you think that you can do it better than he can. You don't want to be under the tyranny of a king who's not looking out for your best interest. Oh, okay. See, but you don't know my king. See, our king is not like other kings. See, when King Jesus, the son of God, who being in the very nature of God, walked this earth, he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being found in human likeness, he lowered himself and took on our condition. He walked the earth as the least of these, as a homeless person, as a poor person, as a broken person, as a persecuted person. You think you have pain? You think you experience rejection in your life? You know nothing about pain and rejection until you know the life that this man lived. He lowered himself and took on our condition, and he loved every unlovely person. He spoke the truth when nobody wanted to hear it. He fed the hungry, and he healed the sick, and he cast out evil. He was a champion for the underdogs, and he frustrated the pompous, powerful people. And even though he was the king, he always deferred to his father. He never acted out of selfishness. Our king is not like other kings. He never leveraged his power to be served, but only to serve. And then, and then, because of our debt against God due to our sin, and it was so high, so high we could never repay it, our king, our king willingly purchased us with his own blood, shed on a cross, a cross that we deserved so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could be freed from slavery to the enemy of our soul. Now, our king didn't just die on that cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. He conquered death. It is the best documented historical event ever in ancient history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our king is the Lamb of God. He's the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. He's our Savior. And because our king loved us so much, because he loved us so much, because he took on our pain, because he took on our sin, because he made a sacrifice on the cross that was our punishment and he took it upon himself, because he loved us so much, we take a knee. You see, and we do it with honor, and we become a subject in his kingdom, and we serve out of gratitude, out of a deep love and loyalty 
to the one who gave his life for us. That's our king. That's the kingdom of God. And it brings hope to the world. So I have to ask you, have you taken a knee before the king? Will you seek entrance into the kingdom? Will you be part of this collection? That's not just this church. It's huge. The kingdom of God is in every corner of the world. Wherever there are people gathered together, whether there are hundreds or whether just a few in persecution in a house church, meeting underground someplace, the church has been called to serve under the king in his kingdom. And the evidence will be measurable of the impact of Jesus Christ through us on them. Let's pray. Lord, we repent for every time that we have just absolutely, totally thought wrongly about you and about your kingdom. How we sit there and we snivel and we beg for a sign when your resurrection is the center point of history. All of our lives are dated to your life for this very one reason, <laughs> that you rose again. And that these stories about you are so true. You're the king. But we continue to filter all of it through this, the lens of me. And it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about you and your glory and your agenda. And I pray that this church would more and more forget ourselves. We would not think of what you owe us or how we should be recognized or appreciated. But we'll just faithfully serve in your kingdom. And it will bring hope to the world. It will bring hope to them. Those whom you loved and died for who yet at this time don't know you. I pray that we will be absolutely sold out to do what you've called us to do. That you'll use everything that we have so that your kingdom would advance on heaven as it is on earth. And we do look forward to the day when you come to get us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.